fabulous, by the way, uh, upstairs. Uh, I think in a couple of weeks we're going to have a chance to check that out, kind of open house. But 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, you can head out and little ones, come on up here. Did you guys listen to that last song? Any of you guys sing that last song? Raise your hand if you were singing that last song. Any of you up here? No? You were totally just zoned out in oblivion that there was even music happening? Like, how soon will this guy let us out of here? You know, that last song talked about how God loves us and our hope for all of you. Everybody's hope in this room, whether you know these people or not, if they're your family or just friends, they want you to know how much God loves you. Do you guys know that? That's, that's why everybody here is so excited to see you guys. They hope that you will learn how much God loves you. And so as we pray for them this morning, if, if you would be so inclined to kind of extend a hand to them, if, if that's okay with you. I know sometimes us covenanters are the frozen chosen and we <laughs> like to just kind of go like, whoa, hands and stuff like that. We don't do that around here. It's okay though, I promise. We're not gonna get crazy or anything. Just a hand extended of blessing towards these little ones. Let's pray for them. God, it is true, we want these, uh, these young people, these little ones, these children to know how much you love them, that you are crazy about them. You created them, you want to be in a relationship with them. God, you are our good, good Heavenly Father, and we want them to know that this morning. Lord, as they go off now to children's ministry time, would they come to know you more and more? Bless their leaders, bless their time together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can head right that way. What's that? A shell? Thanks, Riley. Oh, wait, that's Peyton. Thanks, Peyton. I'm sorry. Called you by your brother's name. How embarrassing. Gosh. Fail. This morning, if you want to turn uh, to Mark chapter 3 with me, that's the kind of story we're looking at from the Bible to center us on our topic this morning of, of the church as first family, telling the church's story, telling the church's story. So Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. I love this story. I love this story. It says, And Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. I guess because he couldn't even eat. I don't know. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. The end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you. People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Isn't that fun stuff to hear? He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then, here's the part of the story I really like. Then Jesus' mother and brothers, right? They were saying he's out of his mind. His mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus responds, Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. 
What an interesting story. An interesting story. So, a few weeks ago, I want to go back to a story that I told you at uh, the very beginning of this sermon series. A few weeks back, I told you of a story of a man who was selling canoes. He was selling canoes, and he was a camp director trying to sell canoes, and he was just striking out. Nobody wanted to buy the canoes. And so finally, you know, he had met with all the donors, he had done all the stuff, and he met with a friend, and he said, I don't understand why nobody wants to buy these canoes. Do they not like kids? Do they not like camp? Do they just not like canoes? What's the deal? And so the friend said, well, tell me why these canoes are so important. He said, well, it's not so much the canoes. It's that, see, these kids come from the inner city, and we take them out into the wilderness. And at one point, as we're canoeing, you can hear the rushing water, but we come into an opening, and there it is, a waterfall. There it is, a waterfall. And so we're in these canoes, and there's the waterfall, and it's at this moment in this pool in front of the waterfall where we really have these heart-to-heart conversations with kids. We see lives changed consistently time and time again in this waterfall experience. And his friend said to him simply, if you remember the story, quit selling canoes, sell the waterfall. Sell the waterfall. So since I, I heard this story and told it in, the context, in that context of the power of story, a question has been coming to my mind, and that is, what is Simi Covenant's waterfall? What is our waterfall? And, and, I, and I, the, the metaphor or the illustration might break down a little bit, but just, just go with me on this. Go with me on this. I believe that every church has canoes to sell. Every church has canoes to sell. And, and we have a common mission that we are selling, not selling is a bad, sometimes we don't like the word sell, but just stay with me, okay? As I say, some of this illustration can break down. Just stay with me. Don't get too judgmental yet, okay? Just stay with me on this, okay? Because it's going to get a little bit even weirder and then it'll get really good, I promise. <laughs> to a certain extent, like every church has canoes to sell, we have the common mission of Jesus Christ. And so now you're going like, are you saying Jesus is a canoe? Okay, just stay with me. I said this. Okay, Jesus is kind of like the canoe. We all want people to know Jesus. It's a common thing. So we're all kind of selling canoes. But I believe that every church has a unique waterfall. There's a unique thing about them that only they really bring to their community. That, that the, each local expression of the big C church has something that only they can do. That they are uniquely poised to reach a certain people, to do a certain thing within their community. And I think that is kind of that church's waterfall. Are you with me on this now? Are you tracking a little bit? So, so everybody's selling canoes, but I think every church has a waterfall. That this is the thing that we are about. This is the thing that we can offer to our community, this waterfall experience. And so it led me to ask, what is Simi Covenant's waterfall? I have been here, believe it or not, almost seven months now. Almost seven months. And it's funny now because if, when I was first here, I would say, like, it's only been three months. I, remember, I've only been here four months. Now it's getting to a point where it's kind of ridiculous to say, like, it's only been so long. You know, I'm getting to that point, like, probably beyond a little bit of the honeymoon phase. It's like, all right, you've been here a little bit long now. Quit saying only seven months. You need to kind of get on with it, okay? Here we go. So I've been here, though, almost seven months, making observations, asking questions, and this is kind of the question that I've been really curious about as I've had coffee and lunch appointments, asking people, what is it, over the course of Simi Covenant's 52-year history now, what is it that makes Simi Covenant Simi Covenant? 
What is it that makes this place so great? What is it that has made those of you stay faithful to this church for many, many years? Through good times and bad, you have stayed faithful. What is that thing? What is that waterfall? And I've been asking, and, and there's some things that have been popping up, and I was like, well, maybe that's it, and then, oh, I don't think that's it. But I had this great conversation this last week. Just last week, I had lunch with a, a couple who had been here almost since the very beginning. I was asking them this question, and, and the question I posed to them was this. What DNA of Simi Covenant needs to be preserved? What is something that if this thing went away, this would no longer be Simi Covenant Church? And together, as we, as we talked through this, and th- this is a really important question to ask because over the course of any organization, and the church really is an organization, or over the course of an organization's history, there's things that are in the fabric of that organization that can never change or that organization just cease to exist. And there's things that need to be adapted. And there's things that need to be discarded. Uh, otherwise, some organizations don't continue. You think of Kodak or Blockbuster. They didn't adapt. They didn't change some of their DNA. They kept trying to do some things and now they cease to exist or they just aren't what they used to be. So what is it though about See Me Covenant that is worth preserving? What is something that, you know, this is who we are and if we lost this thing, if we lost this piece of us, we would no longer be See Me Covenant Church. And so we're asking these questions and, and they were kind of going, gosh, I don't know, uh, what is that thing? What is that thing? And, and so we asked kind of a different question. I said, well, tell me about the early days of the church. Tell me about the early days of See Me Covenant. And it was really interesting because the answer was, well, when the church started, we did everything with the church. Everything. Everything we did, our lives revolved around the church. And then we kind of dawned on us, an interesting observation was made, that really this community, and they basically said that this community, we had to do that because everyone who was moving here in the 1960s were moving here without family, without those family connections you might have if you grew up in a small town and you go, oh yeah, everybody from my family lives here, we've all grown up here. This was a place that very, very few people could say, I grew up in Simi Valley in the 1960s. Very few people could say that. So they're saying, you know, for us then to have aunts and uncles and cousins, we had to find that in the church. We had to find family in the church. And so we did everything through the church. They made the observation and said, you know, there weren't even very many older people here at that time. They could only name a, a couple of older people that were in the church, but it was because a family had moved here and then a grandpa or grandma who had retired would then come and join the family. They said there's very few older people here, and so we just banded together. We were family for each other. And it kind of dawned on me, it kind of dawned on me that I've heard that story from other people in this church. Over the generations, I've heard other people say, I've heard people who are in their 70s and their 60s and their 50s and their 40s and their 30s and their 20s say, this church has been my family. This church has been my family. I've raised my kids with these people at this church. Yeah, I've grown up at youth group, in children's ministry with these people. They're my lifelong friends. We went on mission trips. We've gone to Chick, to camps. We've done all these things together. These people are my family. And I wondered then, I wonder then, is this our waterfall? That we are a church that over the generations, spanning the generations, we are family to each other. We are family. 
Now, now there's certainly other churches in Simi Valley that could have a similar story. Because I said the waterfall thing is, is kind of the unique thing about us. And there's certainly other churches that might have a similar story. But the question is, are they willing to embrace this, intentionally go after this with laser focus, and make the sacrifices necessary to say what we want more than anything else, to be a family, a church that is family, a church that is always embracing the next generation, passing on faith to the next generation, finding our role in that no matter what generation we are a part of. I I wonder if that's our waterfall. And I say this is uh, potentially our waterfall because I think it is a story that is compelling to anybody, whether you've grown up in the church or you've never been in the church ever, people are looking for connection, a place of belonging, a place of meaning, a place where they know there are people there who care for them, will miss them when they're not here. We're all looking for that, whether we know it or not, whether we're seeking that in the church or not, we're all looking for that. I came across a book recently called Finding God in the Waves. And it's a guy named Mike Maharg, and Mike Maharg has an interesting story. I've, I've quoted him before. He's, he's called by some Science Mike. Science Mike. He loves brain science in particular. And it, he has his own kind of strange faith journey in that he was raised in Florida as a, a fundamentalist Baptist, and he was really hardcore evangelical fundamentalist, very rule follower, and then he had a, a point in his life where the science and the faith got so conflicted that he just walked away from faith altogether. And so for three years, he says, I was an absolute atheist for three whole years, and then had a strange kind of mystical experience where now he's come back to Christ. But he writes this in his book. He says, here's the thing. In my opinion, secular life doesn't provide the kind of ready-made community That a church does. Studies tell us that people are increasingly isolated and lonely. We're more wealthy and mobile, but far less connected to our neighborhoods, our civic groups, and other social organizations. We have thousands of Facebook friends, but no one to spend time with. In the modern world, he says, a church community offers one of religion's most powerful and least understood advantages. I thought that was a really interesting phrase. In the modern world, the church community offers one of religion's most powerful and least understood advantages. Have you thought of the community, the family of faith, as an advantage that we have? As, that's why I say, like, I think this is a waterfall for us. It's something that people are hungry for, are seeking. What's interesting about uh, Science Mike's story is that even during his atheist years, he kept attending church. Because he knew that those people cared about him, loved him, were there for him and his family. And even though mentally or intellectually he didn't believe what they were teaching, what they were saying, he felt this pull, this attraction that these people though actually care about me and I don't know, I'm not confident that I can find that anywhere else. The church as first family, the church as a community of faith that has this powerful advantage that we can connect to one each other and people will care about you here. At least that's our hope. And so in Mark 3, I love this story in Mark 3, because I think Jesus redefines family here. I think Jesus redefines family 
And in doing so, he provides us with an image that can encourage us, expand our pursuit of this waterfall, of family first, of passing on faith to generation after generation, of finding in the church family. Whether you, the, the, you know, we're not talking about blood here. And that's how Jesus redefines it. So let me get to that. So in the scene, right, so Jesus' ministry is picking up pace. We read it earlier. Mark's gospel is about immediacy, movement. Things are happening rapidly. Mark's gospel is so interesting because the other gospels start with birth stories. And Mark's gospel basically says Jesus was doing ministry. Here he went. He started proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's how Mark's gospel starts. Jesus is already an adult. He's already involved in ministry. And Mark loves the word immediately. It goes from scene to scene immediately, and then he did this, and then he did that, and Jesus is just moving and going and going. And so already by Mark chapter 3, Jesus has this crowd that has gathered, and he can't even eat because there's so many people gathered in this place, and they can't even eat because he's been doing miracles and healing people, and word has got out. So he's back in his hometown, and they're just the crowd is pressing in because rumors about Jesus have spread And his family has had enough. His family, his blood family, has had enough. They say he's out of his mind. So Jesus went home again and once more a crowd collected that could not even have a meal. This is an actual rendering of the events here. (laughs) And his family comes and they say he's out of his mind. They go to set him straight. The text says to take charge of him. To take charge of him. And parallel to his own family thinking he's gone and lost it, uh, uh, Mark lets us in on this whole thing about the, uh, the religious leaders thinking Jesus has gone and lost it. I mean, they're saying like, um, let's, let's figure this out. The only way he can do these healings, the only way he can cast out demons, the only way he can do these things is if he probably came from the devil himself. Let's use that logical thing. Obviously, he's evil. That's why he's able to get rid of the evil things within people. Let's just go with that, they decide. Let's go with that. We don't want to go with that. Jesus deals with that situation. We're not focusing on that this morning. We're focusing on how Jesus deals with his family. And so people are coming. They're saying, this guy is crazy. This guy has lost it. He is out of his mind. And Jesus, in this situation, redefines family. For anyone who would say, I follow Jesus. So his family thinks he's crazy. There's rumors around town. Every, some people are saying he's a prophet. Some people are saying he's from God himself. This might be the Messiah. And people are pressing in. Maybe they'll be healed. Maybe they'll witness a miracle. Maybe this guy is from God. And he's going to tell us how to find eternal life. All oh, this is going to be so good. And others maybe are saying, let's just watch the train wreck unfold. Because the Pharisees are going to come in and they're going to tear him down. Maybe he's just a little crazy and we can watch this whole scene. Either way, they're gathered and his family has had enough. And the family says, basically, let's go get him before he ruins the family name. Let's go get him. Let's take charge of him. They show up outside the house and the crowd is so huge they can't get their way to Jesus. So they just pass the, the message forward. Hey, tell Jesus his family's here. Can you pass that up to him? Tell him we're here. We need to talk to him. It's urgent. It's urgent. And so the the message finally reaches Jesus and, you know, your mother, your brothers, they're here. They're looking for you. And Jesus responds. Did you catch it in the earlier reading? Who are my mother and my brothers? 
And I'm wondering if you're the messenger at this moment, if you're not like, uh, is this a serious question? It's a trick. Who are your mother and your brothers you don't know? Or, or what, what, are you, what are you doing here? Maybe he is crazy. Maybe he is a little off. Who are my mother and my brothers? But Jesus continues, and here's where I would say he redefines family. He looks at the crowd. Can you picture the scene? Who are my mother and my brothers? Uh, the people outside looking for you? The people that want you to leave? And Jesus looks and says, here, here are my mother and my brothers. He looks at this crowd pressing in. He says, anyone who does the will of God is my mother, my brother, and my sister. And that's it. Mark's on to something else. That's all we get. Who is my family? My family is anyone seeking to do God's will. This is how I would argue Jesus defines family. It's less about bloodlines. It's not about uh, who is your real immediate family and more about those seeking God's will together. Anyone seeking God's will, that's your family. That's how Jesus defines it. Which for me leads to this question of what does it mean then to seek God's will together? How can we identify who our family members are? And I believe I would make the argument this morning that discerning God's will happens best in the context of community. This is something that we can offer. This is a waterfall, if you will, that we can offer as a church. That there are those in our community, whether they know Jesus or not, who are, who are discerning at a deep level, does my life have meaning? Does my life have purpose? What is this all about? That is essentially what? Discerning God's will. Discerning whether there's something bigger going on in this world. And we can do that together as the family of faith. It is in community, in genuine, authentic community, where we have the best chance to know people deeply, deeply enough to say to them, this is what I think is going on in your life. This is what I believe God is calling you to. And where we can be known that others can look at us and say, Chad, this is where I think God is calling you. I, I see this in you. Do you see it? Where we can be affirmed, where we can be encouraged. It happens in community, authentic community, where we trust one another. And I think we have a great chance, Simi Covenant Church, to be that kind of community. For those of you who are already here, and for those, of the, those in our community who are going to come. Uh, the, the question that, that I have, or I want to share a little bit of my own story, because this was profoundly important to me, having a community of faith in the last couple of years. I was making a ministry transition, and about two or three years ago, I really knew that it was time to move on. It was time to do whatever God had next for me. And one of the reasons I knew that it was time is because people that I trusted in my family of faith were saying, Chad, I sense something else coming for you. And I listened to that. And at first I was like, I don't want to hear that. I kind of like where I'm at. It's pretty safe. It's pretty easy. I've kind of figured out this youth ministry thing. We've got a nice thing going. Don't tell me it's time to do something different. But I listened to that, and, and, and as it happened more and more, I felt this nudge and started listening more. And so what I did, what I chose to do, was find anybody and everybody that I trusted within my family of faith to say, help me discern God's will. Help me. 
And so I surrounded myself with, with pastoral colleagues, with friends in ministry at other churches. I hounded our superintendent and associate superintendent. I need to have coffee again. need to have lunch again. This is me texting, by the way, if you're like, what is he doing with his thumbs? I would text them and email them. I need, Don, I need to meet with you again. I'm feeling like God is, is telling me to move and I just need somebody to talk to about this. I spoke with trusted friends and this was a hard thing to do, to find people within my church that I could trust, that I could be vulnerable with, to say to them, I feel like God might be having me move on, which means leaving this place, leaving these friendships. But I didn't, the, the, the key to all of this, the reason I, I share this with you is because it all boiled down to this. At this pivotal moment in my family's life, in my own life, I didn't want to make this decision alone. I trusted the family of faith. I trusted people who I knew had my best interests in mind. They knew me. I had let them in on who I was so that they could say, yes, Chad, I see God opening this door for you, or no, I see that one closing for you. And we discerned God's will together. This is what the family offers. We have each other. We don't have to do these things alone. We don't have to discern God's will. It, it, it pains me to know that there are people in our world, in our society, in our culture that we are connected with who are asking deep questions about the purpose and meaning of life and what should I do and who am I? And I feel as though we have the answers inside the church. We have, we have some of the tools to help people discern these things together and there's people doing this alone. And they're trying one thing and striking out and trying the next thing and striking out and we have some of the tools not to fix them, not to say here's the easy answer, but to do it together in community. And that's why I say I believe that is our waterfall because the story of Simi Covenant is a story of generation after generation after generation living in authentic community, raising kids together, loving one another, being there for one another. That is something worth preserving and worth inviting other people into. Is it not? Isn't this something that we want to pass on to others and share with others? Not something that's just ours. But that's the danger, right? The danger of saying our waterfall is family, tight, knit, family of faith, is that sometimes that turns into, well, some are in and some are out. And so for those of us who are in, we love it. It feels so good. We're connected to this community and people are there for us and it feels so awesome. And for those on the edge, you're just like, oh, maybe there's a different one for you down the street. And we have to be careful about that because it's a huge pitfall if we create this inward-focused family that says, oh, no, 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 this is about inviting others to be a part of it. The radical grace of God says, come on in, check it out. You're seeking God's will for your life? Come check it out. That's how big our family is. That's how big we want to cast the net. There's a man named Adam Duckworth, a pastor planting a church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. As they were planting the church, they pulled their community. They said, we want to know why people don't go to church. We just want to ask our community, why do you not, why do you choose to go to Starbucks on a Sunday morning? Or maybe I could answer those questions for people. I mean, I, I know why, but Starbucks is pretty awesome. Watching football is pretty awesome. But they pulled their community and said, well, why, why do you choose to do those things other than go to church? And, and as they boiled down the, the statistical analysis, the results of the survey, they found five consistent responses. 
And these are things that I would warn us that we don't want to go to these things because they're things that make people go, oh, I don't want to be a part of that family, even if you are inviting me. Here's the five things they consistently heard. The church is too political, a waste of time, there's conditional acceptance, it's fake, and it's inward focused. Those are some harsh things to think about, that the community might look at the church And as we're saying, gosh, we want to open our arms wider. We want to bring more people in. We want you to experience God's love. Welcome to the family. Welcome. Come on in. Be a part of the family of faith. People might be saying, ah, is it conditional acceptance? Is it be a part of the family if I do X, Y, or Z? Is it, oh, we want you to be in here and we're going to put on a smiley face on Sunday mornings and we love you, but when we go out there, like, eh, you're not really part of us. That fakery? Is it inward focused? Oh no, we, we care for us. We care for us really well, but nah. So we have to avoid all these pitfalls. The political one, it's an interesting one. They, they talked about it on the podcast. They said we just at this point are refusing to talk about politics ever because we just found that people when they come to church and they hear those things, they go, ah, it's kind of what we talked about last week with the single story. Oh, you're talking about that. That means your whole church is like this. Ugh, no thanks. But this part of inviting people into an authentic community, that word authentic is huge. Um, It's been on your bulletin cover the last five weeks, authentic community. People looking for a place where they can be real. And isn't that what a family is? I mean, families are usually pretty real with each other. You usually know the dirt on people in your family. It's pretty hard to hide who you are with your family. But the church, I think, can be the same place where it can be a safe place. It can be a safe place to be vulnerable with each other. But we have to be very intentional about that. We have to be very intentional about that. As I close this morning, I want to tell you that I am encouraged by what I see happening over the last almost seven months now at this church. I am, I am very encouraged by where I see us going when it comes to being a family of faith. Because I see this groundswell of young families. I don't know if, you've, if you haven't come to the dinners in the park for a while, if you've never come, these are not just for young families. Anybody from the church can come. It's kind of a preschool ministry, but wow, it's been amazing to see how people are getting to know each other, inviting each other in, in, more deeply into each other's lives through this ministry of having a meal in the park Because, again, I think people are searching for community. And so preschool parents are bringing their kids and then asking, well, what's the next step? Let's hang out a little bit more and let's hang out a little bit more. So I see this groundswell of young families who are asking questions. My wife has been asked some questions by people saying, how do you, what are some things you do to pass on faith to your children? And these are people who are not currently attending our church. We're asking these big questions and, and do we have answers? Can we say, oh, come and find out. Come be a part of the family. Come and find out. We can help you in that. We want to walk alongside you in raising your kids. I see a growing number of younger people in our church who are pursuing Christ and serving at a high capacity in the church. I don't know if you notice. I'm just going to embarrass them right now. But we've got two young guys trying to learn the soundboard today. And we've had more younger, you know, yeah, hallelujah. Sorry to embarrass you guys. Yeah. I didn't even have that in the notes, but I'm like, there they are. We've got young people who are saying, I want to be more invested, involved, deep, more deeply committed to the life of the church. This is my family. I want to give back to my family. 
And here's the coolest thing that I think we have going on at Simi Covenant Church. Uh, the reason I say that I think we are kind of uniquely poised to be this family of faith, the church that is a family of faith, passing on faith to the next generation, that is because we have the generations present. That is an asset. That is a huge asset. As I've studied my generation, the millennials, I, I hear people saying, like, what I yearn for, what I long for is to be mentored, to be discipled, to be in a relationship with people who have some wisdom, some advice and counsel to offer. I actually hear that from younger people, that they're seeking out those kinds of relationships. And sometimes I think we, we think of younger people as like, oh, they just want to go do their own thing. They'll be at a church of all 20-somethings. No, that's not what I hear today. I hear people, I remember my own students that would graduate uh, from high school and go off to college and they would say, it's real, really hard finding a church. So well, what's the hardest thing? They go, we just keep finding these churches that are all college kids. And we're looking for a church where there's grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, people that take us to lunch after church and ask us how our life is, you know, not to pay for them, I mean, but there you yeah. I love it, I love that, there you go. I love that that's where you all jumped with that. Well, of course they want people to take them to lunch. There, man, maybe there's a little of that. But, the, but these, these college kids who were seeking out, not just people their age, but were seeking out wise counsel, people who could be family to them, who could be family to them. They're longing for that, longing for that. So I believe we are poised for good things. I am encouraged. I hope that you get that sense too. I hope that you get that so you don't miss it when it happens. So you don't miss it when God does something really cool and you go, oh, God was doing something really cool. Yeah, God is doing something really cool here. And you all have an opportunity to be a part of it. I leave you with one question. One question. Ask yourself, what am I willing to do to keep this waterfall flowing? I think that's a, a, a part we all have to play. We all have a role to play if we are really to be the, the family of faith. If Jesus, if Jesus does redefine family and says, family is anyone doing the will of God then we all have a role to play. Maybe your role is serving in kids' ministry. We're revamping our kids' ministry so it's not going to be, a, on Sunday mornings, a teacher with 15 kids, but it's going to be small group based. You're going to get to know some kids. Get to know them. Watch their faith journey. Anybody can do that. Anybody can be a part of that. Listening to kids, speaking into their lives. All of us can be a part of that. Maybe it's uh, jumping into an intergenerational grow group or starting a grow group. You know, today we have this opportunity, the final opportunity to sign up this fall for, for grow groups. Maybe saying, you know, I've always been in one, but now I want to try a new one. I want to jump in with some other people. So ask yourself the question, what am I willing to do? Each and every one of us of every generation asking, what am I willing to do to get engaged in the life of the church that the waterfall would keep flowing we all have a role to play. I, for one, am excited to jump in the canoe, jump in with Jesus, and bring people to this waterfall, showing people in our community who are asking the questions of meaning and purpose to show them that they can come and ask those questions here and we can discern God's will together as the family of faith. Would you pray with me? God, I look around this room and I see all these people who are deeply faithful, deeply connected to you, Lord. God, that their lives' stories, the ups and downs of every life story in here includes times where you were very present, includes times where we wondered where you were. 
But Lord, in, in, in both of those situations, we know that, God, you kept faithful to us. You stayed there with us. You kept writing the story, kept writing the story. And Lord, now we look to the future and we ask God, we ask God that you would help to keep writing the story of family through this church. God, that the next generation and the next, God, we want to just, we want to see that each generation would come to know you. We want the waterfall to keep flowing, that more and more people would know you. God, I am encouraged, and I pray that all of us in this room are encouraged this morning, and that each of us would search, Lord, our, our, the, our time schedules, we would search our hearts and see where it is that we can get engaged at a deeper level to keep this waterfall going, to keep more and more, keep it so that more and more people come to know you through the ministries of this church. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.